Coming up on Stu Does America, what comes after a nearly $2 trillion stimulus relief package? Why a $3 trillion infrastructure package, of course. Isn't it great that money isn't real and economic consequences probably won't even hit until President Biden is out of office? <laughs> I'll talk with the Manhattan Institute's Brian Riedel about the ridiculous planned legislation. And sucks for anyone in New York whose last name isn't Cuomo because they don't get the exclusive access to vaccines and COVID tests that Chris and Andrew and the company do. Corrupt to the very core, we'll get into that tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. Before we get started, why not head over to my Instagram page at Stu Does America and give me a follow. You'll get to episode reminders, exclusive content, and if you hit that link in the bio, you'll get to watch and share the show for free however you want or join the fight against conservative censorship with a subscription to Blaze TV. Head over to blazetv.com slash stew and enter the promo code stew because that's how they know. You like this stupid show and you'll save 10 bucks. It was a real pleasure getting to see Joe Biden in person today, or at least a very finely made hologram of Joe Biden. Place your bets on corn pop mentions as we do Biden's first news conference. Stu does America. Wow, what an adventure that was, huh? Holy, I, I, I actually, as I was watching it, you kind of get the impression that just nobody's at the wheel uh, of this country right now. Um, I almost had the impression we're almost like that ship that's stuck in the Suez Canal. Just someone just kind of just turned it off and we're just sort of floating and then eventually we're just going to run into stuff. That's sort of where it feels like we are at the moment with President Biden. I was happy he actually showed up for something. He didn't fall over. He didn't uh, talk about squirrels at any moment. There are some positives, but generally speaking, not really a, a, a wonderful performance from uh, Joe Biden. I, I think he, he has this weird thing that he does where he tries to... Uh, lower expectations enough that he can clear a bar. And it's a great idea in some ways. Uh, you know, you can have that idea where you can, you can have a Mercedes or, a, you know, a, a Kia. And, you know, if you promise a Mercedes and deliver a Kia, everyone's pissed off. Joe Biden's, you know, he's not even, he's like a Yugo. He's promising like a 1984 Yugo. And he's, he's delivering like a 1986 Yugo. It's really not working well. This is the uh, the vaccination uh, situation. This is supposedly the big news breaker from the press conference. And honestly, I was a bit underwhelmed. On December 8th, I indicated that I hope to get 100 million shots in people's arms in my first 100 days. Mm -hmm. We met that goal last week by day 58. That's because it was a dumb 42 goal. 42 days ahead of schedule. Mm -hmm. Now today I'm setting a second goal, and that is we will, by my 100th day in office, have administered 200 million shots in people's arms. That's right, 200 million shots in 100 days. Wow. I know it's ambitious. Oh, yeah. Twice our original goal. Right. But no other country in the world has even come close, not even close now, of to what we were doing. Yeah, I got it. Now, of course, that's true. No one is close to the numbers that we're putting up. I mean, we did basically develop all the vaccines, so you'd kind of, kind of assume that would be the case. What's hilarious about this, if you don't know, is that when given the pace that we were at the day he took office, we were already ahead of his goal. 
So he literally came into office with us vaccinating enough people to easily surpass his 100 million in 100 days goal. So he didn't need to raise the numbers at all to get there. Now, the same thing applies when he makes his second goal. We are now well over 100 million. We're going to get to 200 million easily unless like half of the country just shuts down for some reason. There'd be no reason to believe we wouldn't get to 200 million because we're already ramping up. This is just this is not anything Biden is doing. It's just production ramping up for the vaccines that were developed during the Trump administration as part of Operation Warp Speed. This is nothing to brag about. It's I should be clear about this. The vaccine program in and of itself is something amazing that everyone should be bragging about. However, Biden has had almost nothing to do with it. He, if he's done anything, it's just been to slightly tweak the uh, rollout uh, of the vaccines. But again, that's not the story here at all. Uh, it is the story of the production of the vaccines ramping up. That's why we're going to get to 200 million uh, doses. The other thing that's happening is state after state after state is now opening up to pretty much everybody here in Texas. I think it's Friday or maybe Monday. Uh, we get uh, everyone who's 16 or older can get the vaccine. You don't have to. Have, there's no more. We're looking at health uh, problems or uh, you have to be older. Everybody can get it uh, coming very, very soon uh, to your state and pretty much everywhere as that develops over the next couple of weeks. So this is not anything. It's not a news breaking thing. Maybe it's smart, though. Maybe it's smart to tell everybody you're going to pass this easy this easy goal and then everyone gives you credit for 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 hitting it. I, I guess that's the plan here. Uh, although I will say that was the big moment he planned. There were some moments he did not plan where things did not go so well. At times, it seemed like he had no idea what was going on. Watch 50 votes so that the vice president of the United States can break the tie or I get 51 votes without her. And so I'm going to say something outrageous. OK, here it comes. I have never been particularly poor at calculating how to get things done in the United States Senate. That's not outrageous. So the best way to get something done, okay, if, you, if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, okay. um, like to be able to... Yep. Anyway. I'm, we're going to get a lot done. And oh. if we have to, if there's complete lockdown and chaos as a consequence of the filibuster, then we'll have to go beyond what I'm talking about. That's your president. The guy, I mean, he was in the middle of a story and just turned it off like someone unplugged him or something. Uh, that is uh, terrifying. I, we have the senility now T-shirts. That's what we should be rolling out today because I don't know what's going on, man. I mean, this is go to Studos merch, get your T-shirt that says senility now on it with a picture of Joe Biden to remind everyone you knew in advance before he got into office that he could not do this job. That's terrifying, man. This happens way, way too often. By the way, did you hear him talking about the filibuster? He's an expert, apparently, on, 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 on uh, what's going on in, uh, in the Senate. And it's funny, everyone, you know, some of the conservatives uh, other out there are playing that clip and saying, can you believe what happened there? And I'm with you. I'm like, that was really bad. But you have to actually also realize that what he was saying was down a very weird road, and he seemed to reverse himself almost immediately after. Can we, can we hear the clip about the filibuster? We've amended the filibuster in the past. Mm -hmm. But here's the deal. Yep. As you observed, I'm a fairly practical guy. Right. Mm -hmm. I want to get things done. I want to get them done consistent with what we promised the American people. And in order to do that, in a 50-50 Senate, 
we've got to get to the place where I get 50 votes so that the vice president of the United States can break the tie. Right. Or I get 51 votes without her. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to say something outrageous. Here it comes. I have never been particularly poor at calculating how to get things done in the United States Senate. Okay, got it. He's an expert on the Senate. He's, he, he's never been poor at figuring out how to get things done. Here's another clip from less than 60 seconds later. It's going to be hard to get a parliamentary ruling that allows 50 votes to end the filibuster, the, the existence of a filibuster. Um, but um, it's not my expertise in what the parliamentary rules and how to get there are. But Wait. our what? preoccupation with the filibuster is totally legitimate. Oh. But in the meantime, we Wait got a lot we can do while we're talking about what we're going to do about the filibuster. OK, there's a lot of words salad at the end there, but got the two points here. Number one, I'm great at figuring out how to get things done in the Senate. Number two, it's not my expertise to figure out how to get things done in the Senate. Less than 60 seconds apart. This is your president. This is terrifying. He also, uh, there's, he had, I will say the press pushed him a little bit here and there. One issue in particular they went pretty hard on. Um, here is, uh, this is, um, uh, they're asking about the border. And they went pretty hard on the border. A couple of reporters uh, did. Listen to this question uh, as, uh, as pro- proposed to Biden um, earlier today. You, you just listed the reasons that people are coming, uh, talking about in-country problems, saying that it happens every year. You blamed the last administration. Sir, I just got back last night from a reporting trip to the border where I met nine-year-old Josep, who walked here from Honduras by himself, uh, along with another little boy. He had that Astounding. phone number on him, and we were able to call his family. His mother says that she sent her son to this country because she believes that you are not deporting unaccompanied minors like her son. That's why she sent him alone from Honduras. So, sir, you blame the last administration, but is your messaging in saying that these children are and will be allowed to stay in this country and work their way through this process, encouraging families like Joselle's to come? Well, look. The idea that I'm going to say, which I would never do, that if an unaccompanied child ends up at the border, we're just going to let him starve to death and stay on the other side. No previous administration did that either, except Trump. Uh, okay, wait, I'm not wait, do stop, it. For, stop for a second. First of all, you give credit to Cecilia Vega there. She, she actually followed up after this, asked a couple of really tough questions. There's always a sort of reporter that comes out of a Democratic administration, usually only one, who seems to ask tough questions. Uh, You know, Major Garrett did that a while ago. Jake Tapper, that's how we know who Jake Tapper is, because he was asking tough questions of the Obama administration. Uh, John Carl uh, was was that guy as well. Um, And now maybe, I don't know, Cecilia Vega asked some tough questions. I don't know if this is the way she always uh, is, if she's willing to ask tough questions of both sides, or if this is just an issue she really cares about. Either way, she held his f- feet to the fire, I thought, pretty well during this. Secondly, the question's asked, the weird silence again from Biden, and then he throws out that Trump is apparently having, he's uh, getting rid of people, children, to sit on the other side of the Rio Grande and starve to death. Is there any evidence of this? We have not seen this at all. There's no evidence that this has occurred. And you guys were the ones saying they were putting them in cages the whole time. Did they put them in cages or did they let them starve on the other side of the river? I'm very confused over this. 
it's just it's just absolutely pathetic. Uh, let, do we have a little bit more of this clip? Let's watch a little bit more. Is that either except Trump? Right. Of course, Trump. I'm not going to do it. You're not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. You're not going to do it. You just said that's that. why I've asked the vice president of the United States yesterday to be the lead person. Lead person. I'm dealing with focusing on the fundamental reasons why people leave Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador in the first place. It's because of earthquakes, floods. It's because of lack of food. It's because of gang violence. It's because of a whole range of things. Here's the thing. Earthquakes and floods and even gang violence are not legal asylum paths. That's not how that works. There are certain things you can come to the United States for if you're claiming asylum. An earthquake is not one of them. That's not that's not how that works. Uh, so, I mean, this he's all over the board. He uh, did do. Some, <laughs> I don't even know how to explain this one to you. So let me just play it. Here's a uh, here's Biden talking about uh, the voting act he wants to pass. What I'm worried about is how un-American mm. this whole initiative is. Not his initiative. It's sick. Republicans, obviously. It's sick. It's sick. Deciding in some states that you cannot bring water to people the standing act. in line, mm-hmm. yeah, the waiting anti- to vote. Yeah, that's the anti-water. Deciding that mm-hmm. you're going to end voting at 5 o'clock when working people are just getting off work. It's 5 o'clock somewhere. Deciding mm-hmm. that there will be no absentee ballots under the most rigid circumstances. <laughs> Wait, that's not happening. It's all designed, and I'm going to spend my time doing three things. Okay, what are One, One, trying to figure out how to pass the legislation passed by the House. Okay. Number one. No, Number two, mm-hmm. educating the American public. Mm-hmm. The Republican voters I know Whoa. find this despicable. That was a lean into the Republican mic voters. We folks out in the outside this White House. <laughs> I'm not talking about the le- the elected officials. Right. I'm talking about voters. That's how our government voters. works, though. It, that's not. And so I'm convinced mm-hmm. that we'll be able to stop this because it is the most pernicious thing. This makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. Wait, what? It makes what? It makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle? <laughs> I, I love that phrase, Jim Crow and Jim Eagle. I don't even know what that means. I was trying to figure out what he was talking about. I'm like, is there a guy who was more racist than Jim Crow laws named Jim Eagle. Apparently there's some guy in Texas named Jim Eagle and the poor guy, I'm sure his, his phone is just ringing off the hook right now. Uh, I, I think what he was going for is that eagles are larger than crows. So like Jim Crow, that's a small racist and Jim Eagle would be a large racist, but eagles are the symbol of our country. Why are you calling the whole country Racist is that that's what it is. By the way, it was only two points. He's like, we're going to do it in three ways. And he only lists off two. Two points. Um, And I, you know, the things he's talking about, you can't have water in line. I don't I don't even know where he's going with this stuff. Um, You know what? Why don't we take a quick break here? We have so much more to go through from the press conference. I don't want to I don't want to short short change it. We have Brian Riedel coming up as well to walk you through all the crazy spending proposals that are coming. This show is insane today. It's freaking insane. Back with more in a second. I'm not sure if you've been watching the news lately, but if you own a business, HR is a very important part of it. 
I don't know if you've seen what's been going on. You better have your HR issues uh, sorted out. It can kill you. Uh, wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and all the rest. HR manager salaries aren't exactly cheap either. We're talking 70 grand a year on average. Bambi, it's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. It was created specifically for your small business. Uh, your dedicated HR man manager is available by phone, email, Real-time chat. This is you don't have to go through like bounce around to a hundred different representatives. You have someone dedicated to you, from onboarding to terminations. They customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day to day. And the thing is, it's not going to cost you seventy thousand dollars a year. That's not how it works. We're talking ninety-nine dollars a month. Ninety-nine bucks a month, month to month. No hidden fees. You can cancel anytime. Go to bambi.com/stew right now. B-A-M-B-E-E.com/stew to schedule your free HR audit. It's bambi.com/stew. Don't forget the slash stew part of the address because that's how they know you like this stupid show. B-A-M-B-E-E. It's bambi.com/stew. When the federal budget is feathering the nest of the wealthiest Americans, mm -hmm. 90 of the Fortune 500 companies making billions of dollars, not paying a cent in taxes, mm -hmm. reducing taxes to the point that people who are making, you know, if you're a husband and wife, a school teacher, and a cop, you're paying at a higher rate than the average person making a billion dollars a year is. No, no, no. no. Something's wrong. Yeah, something's wrong with your stat, because that's not true at all. Uh, this is hilarious. Actually, based on an analysis by a couple of left-wing economists at Berkeley and uh, Tomas Piketty and his ridiculous analysis. This is a guy who wrote a book, a very anti-capitalist book, about four or five years ago that was sort of popular among the intellectual left. Uh, it's kind of funny to go through. Like, the way they did it was to take... they. They tried to add in a bunch of different weird categories and leave out others that hurt their analysis. So basically, they would they didn't include all these tax credits that are going uh, to people on the lower ends of the scale. And then they did include like things like licensing for your car. They counted that as a tax. So of course, like let's say you spend a thousand dollars in fees, right? Uh, if you're earning twenty thousand dollars, that's five percent of your income, right? But if you go to, uh, if you're a billionaire, it's nothing. It's $1,000. Well, everyone pays the same freaking price for a fee like that. Um, that's not the way these, these you know, taxes have ever been calculated. Long story short, here's a quote from the, the Obama administration, one of their senior economists, Jason Furman. Here's what uh, he had to say. Uh, he said, uh, here's a quote, uh, Jason Furman, econo uh, economics professor at Harvard, who chaired the White House Council of Economic Advisors under President Obama. He said, quote, the best estimates indicate that tax the tax system is progressive with the rich paying a higher tax rate than everyone else. Of course, we all knew that. But uh, Biden apparently has not had the uh, that analysis hit his his radar uh, yet. Um, another weird moment in the press conference was this thing that they, you know, politicians always do. They say, guys, uh, we have crumbling roads and bridges, and you need to understand that our roads and bridges are crumbling. Uh, all our roads and bridges are crumbling to the ground. Now, luckily, most of the ones I drive on seem to be holding up okay. I don't know how this is happening. I just must be lucky. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, but here's Joe Biden talking about how terrible our country is in terms of infrastructure. I still think the majority of the American people don't like the fact that we are now ranked, what, 85th in the world in infrastructure? I mean... Yeah, okay. So we're 85th 
in the world in infrastructure. That sucks, man. And that is terrible. How are we 85th in the world? Luckily, I felt a little bit better about our country uh, less than 60 seconds later. We have somewhere uh, in terms of infrastructure, we have, we rank 13th globally in infrastructure. Wait, I, so we're 85th in the world, but 13th globally. If you don't understand that, I don't know what's wrong with you. Uh, now, CNN has their fact checker, Daniel Dale, who made a, he kind of made his name during the Trump administration, fact checking Donald Trump. He did fact check this claim, but look at the difference in the tone of the fact check from when he was fact checking Trump. I mean, it's, it's very notable. Do we have the tweet here? Uh, Biden uh, muses off the cuff that the U.S. ranks 85th in the world in infrastructure, then consults his notes and says it's 13th in the world in infrastructure. Trivial moment, briefly noting this because it's a recurring Biden thing. Wrong number off the cuff, factual staff prep. I, I love how that works. That's so much nicer than it was for Donald Trump. Uh, look, I, if he said 18th in the world and then realized it was 13th, I'd give him a break. 85th to 13th? That is not something that you just get a little off-the-cuff break from, at least in my mind. Probably the scariest thing watching this whole thing was not how many times he disagreed with himself within a minute of each other, was not that he just stopped mid-story, it was not that he didn't know what the statistics were and got a lot of them wrong. The scariest thing in the whole time, I think, was watching him answer questions, particularly about foreign affairs, which is supposed to be his expertise. And he was continually reading from a paper. You know, Jen Psaki is out there every day with her wonderful red hair. And she's sitting there trying to, 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 to talk to you about what Joe Biden and his positions are. So it makes some sense that she would look down at a piece of paper to make sure she got everything right. She's trying to articulate the views of the president. Well, that's what Joe Biden's trying to do, except he is the president. Why is he feeling the need to read paragraph after paragraph after paragraph while he's standing up there being asked questions about his policies? It's one thing to look for an infrastructure number on a piece of paper, but there were multiple minutes where he was just reading. We don't need a press conference if what you're going to do is read off of printed notes that your staff got for you. Uh, that was really disturbing to watch. There were several moments where you just look at this and you're just like, what do, our, what do our enemies see when they see this happening? He does not look sharp. He does not look sharp. But I will say he was able to stand up. He lasted j exactly, he hit that hour mark and he was out the door, man. Uh, he got out of there without trying to make any massive, massive mistakes, though there were plenty of them. Uh, and we'll, maybe we'll go into a few more of them on tomorrow's program. Back in a second. Well, we're happy to welcome back to the program Brian Riedel. He is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, and he joins us now. Brian, thanks for coming on the program. Always glad to be here, Stu. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was watching the Biden press conference today, and I immediately thought of you at one particular moment. <laughs> he's going through, he's listing off numbers, and half of them you can just tell are wrong. And then he blurts out this thing that apparently uh, the Trump tax cuts 
Uh, 83% of the tax cuts went to the top 1% of the population. Now, immediately I knew that couldn't possibly be correct, but do you have any idea where he got this number? That sound you may have heard if you were near a window was me screaming and wailing. (laughs) Um, Look, of the $2 trillion tax cuts, it has been verified by both the Joint Committee on Taxation and the Liberal Tax Policy Center that 23% of the $2 trillion goes to the top 1%, not 83%. That number is insane. What Biden was quoting was a figure that was a one-year snapshot of one part of the tax cuts after the rest of them have expired in 2027. So he's measuring the impact of the tax cuts by picking a year in which the tax cuts aren't in effect (laughs) (laughs) and then finding one sliver of it that would still be in effect and and then giving the one-year snapshot of that number. Um, This has been so debunked everywhere even the wall street journal put out a statement today saying that this number is nonsense and you know this is what we get this is our life (laughs) this is going to be the next few years i mean uh, (laughs) the last few years have been they haven't been nearly as fun right you had a republican who was president and he was still spending tons and tons of money and calling that out was never fun this is at least a little bit more enjoyable (laughs) i feel like i'm at least having a little bit more fun calling this nonsense out well the argument we get back in return is well trump lied too Okay, but I thought the whole Biden campaign was we're going to hold ourselves to a higher standard. Okay. Not no now now the standard is well we're not worse than President Trump. Right. You know? So I guess I, that's how we've moved the bar. Uh, it really is fascinating. I want to talk to you about uh, what's coming though because what's coming is uh, it's 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 amazing. First of all, let's start over the past year. We've talked about this before. We knew there was going to be some spending that we, none of us was going to, were going to be comfortable with, but it was very unique circumstances. Can you go through, do you, can you remember even all of the spending plans that have been passed <laughs> since the COVID thing started a year ago? Of course. In the past year, we have enacted $5.4 trillion <laughs> in pandemic spending. To put that into context, 20% of the national debt comes from the pandemic in the past year. No, that, that's a national debt going all the way back. Oh 20% gosh. of it is, go, is just in the past year. So moving forward, the Congressional Budget Office says, we have a baseline deficit of 15 trillion over the next decade, mostly because of Social Security and Medicare shortfalls. So you've already borrowed 5 trillion. You have a baseline of 15 trillion and Biden says, well, let's let's add 11 trillion more to that. <laughs> and so he proposed 11 trillion more in spending. So if his budget is enacted, we would go from a national debt of 17 trillion dollars a couple of years ago before the pandemic to 43 trillion dollars at the end of the decade. Now, I know this is monopoly money, <laughs> but just to put it in context, the three trillion dollars that is the current infrastructure proposal is $25,000 per household. Oh my God. The $11 trillion he has proposed is $85,000 per household. And if you think that the only people who are going to pay for that are the top 1% in corporation, and corporations, then you haven't been paying attention for the last 40 years. That $25,000 per household for infrastructure and then $85,000 per household for everything else, they're coming after you. Jeez, that's amazing because, I mean, obviously the average income in the United States is not 85000 
So <laughs> you're spending more than we're even earning. Um, th this is really like, because you now you said $11 trillion. That is the, it would be what, the entire, but like, because I mean, they're saying the, the new spending is $3 trillion, maybe as high as actually $4 trillion when you when you look at some of the uh, tax rebates and stuff. Walk us through what each part of this means. Well, we, we we don't know the full extent of it, uh, of the proposal. Uh, what we're hearing right now is we're probably going to have about one and a half trillion dollars in physical infrastructure, highways, trains, energy, green new deal is mm. going to be a big part of it, broadband. And then there's what's called the human capital portion, free community college, pre-K subsidies, universal paid leave. And somehow we've been told Obamacare subsidies and expansions of the child credit are going to worm their way into the three to four trillion dollars as well. So of the of the president's 11 trillion over 10 years, he has proposed we're, we're seeing about the first three to four trillion of it right here. Oh, and then when they're done, we're going to get more trillion dollar bills. This is this is going to be a parade that never ends. Uh, really, uh, they do not have any hesitance on this. I, I was I was I was shocked into reality earlier today. I was listening to a podcast and they went we're going over the um, the Second Amendment. They're going to, you know, coming after uh, obviously some uh, of new gun control measures. And they mentioned after Sandy Hook, they tried the same thing and they were not able to get it in a federal level. And I've forgotten they had 58 senators when they attempted this 58 Democrats. Now, here we are with 50 and they seem to be so much more bold, really with no no feeling that they need to please any Republican in the country at any time in the in the future. Is this just like their idea that, look, look, this is a once in a lifetime thing. We'll get rid of the filibuster or whatever we need to do. Push all this forward. We'll deal with the consequences later. Yeah, I mean, e even Barack Obama gave lip service to paying for his proposals. He mm. didn't always do it, but he paid lip service to it and, and relied on gimmicks. With Biden, it's like the Democratic id. It, it's it's <laughs> we're going to go eleven trillion dollars on top of a fifteen trillion dollar baseline. We're not even going to pretend to pay for anything. We're going to double or possibly triple the national debt, depending on how far this goes. And oh, by the way, if Republicans get in our way, we're just going to eliminate the filibuster and run them over. I mean, this is there, there's no compromise. There's no negotiations. It, it's a level of boldness we haven't seen since really LBJ. And any any critic has been told to shut up and get out of the way or we will remove minority rights to have a voice in crafting and, and, and filibustering these bills. The same minority rights, by the way, that the Democrats exercised hundreds of times over the last six years when they were in the minority. But all of a sudden the Senate flips and now now the filibuster is a racist relic of Jim Crow. Yeah, that was a really amazing part of that press conference because they used that as the justification because it was being overused. They were the ones overusing it. Now, both sides <laughs> overuse it. But like the disconnect where like these same senators that are saying we need to get rid of the filibuster are the ones who were just filibustering all this stuff under Trump. I mean, it's hard to imagine going any further than this. There has not been a Republican filibuster since 2014. <laughs> and yet 
you know, like Dur- Durbin said, he changed his mind on the filibuster because all of the McConnell filibusters over the past three years, you know, <laughs> the number is zero. <laughs> Biden said all the filibusters last year were the problem. The number is zero. So this is one of the most cynical power grabs, one of the most shameless and dishonest power grabs you can find. And it's because, let's be honest, for all for all Democratic talk of compromise, we saw this in the stimulus bill that just passed when Biden wanted one point nine trillion Republicans started offering counteroffers and trying to negotiate, and Democrats cut off all negotiations without moving an inch. They are not willing to compromise one inch, and they will change the rules and deprive minority rights before they will compromise one inch. I mean, yeah, the Republicans came to that uh, stimulus, uh, uh, you know, negotiation, offering a, a package that was basically the same size as the Obama 2009 stimulus. Said, "Hey, we'll give you 700 billion dollars." I mean, how about that for a starting point from the right? And even that wasn't enough to get them in the room. And and that was on top of 3.4 trillion they'd already approved. In fact, they had already done a trillion dollar stimulus three weeks earlier. <laughs> And they said, we'll do another six or seven hundred billion on top of the trillion we did uh, a week ago, a few weeks ago. And the Democrats said, no, that's a bad faith offer, because unless you immediately give us 90 percent of what we ask for, it's a bad faith offer. And we're going to walk away from the negotiating table. It is it is extraordinarily cynical. And the fact that they're actually getting away with it, the fact that the media is carrying water for this is, is just, it's, it's really shameless. I mean, this is blowing my mind just thinking of how crazy this is. I can't believe how far we've come. Um, okay, so you mentioned actually paying for this. We know that's not going to happen in this bill. Uh, that is, you know, and I don't know. I don't even know how to react to this stuff anymore. We do know that there's at least proposals floating around about tax increases. We've seen mm-hmm. stuff like maybe it's only over $400,000 a year. Or maybe it's $200,000 a year. Uh, maybe the corporate tax rate is going to go up. How much do we know about what's coming there? We don't have any specifics yet except for what, uh, Biden proposed during the campaign, which was two trillion dollars in tax hikes over the decade, half of which would come from families earning over four hundred thousand, and the other half would come from bringing back the highest corporate tax in the developed world. You know, if you remember when we had the highest corporate tax and all the jobs and and investment mm-hmm. was running overseas. We want to go back to that, according mm-hmm. to, to Biden. But even if we did all of this, you're only at two trillion. And you're not even you, – you've barely paid for half of what he's proposing, and you will have used up every tax hike for everything else on Biden's $11 trillion agenda. And let's face it. Republicans aren't going to vote for these tax increases because Republicans see no reason to be the tax collectors of a Biden spending spree. If Biden is going to run them over with huge new spending proposals – uh, well, getting rid of the filibuster and telling Republicans you can have no say in this, Republicans will be damned if they're going to pay for if they're going to you know allow a tax hike to go through as part of it. But that's where we're at right now, and the, and and the fact that the two trillion dollars is insufficient is more reason that the four hundred thousand dollar threshold is almost sure to come down mm-hmm. because we saw this under Obama and we saw this under Clinton, both of whom said I will not raise taxes on the middle class, and both of whom did. Yeah, it's a one thing about Bernie Sanders you can give him credit for. He's the only one who will admit it. He's the only one who will admit, yeah, you know what? Yeah, you're going to be hit with some tax increases. Bernie admitted it, 
but his taxes were 74 trillion short of his spending. <laughs> well, that's a minor deal. You, it's typical, 74 you just, trillion. Just diving into the minutiae of 74 trillion. Come on, Brian. What's, what's 74 <laughs> trillion among yeah, friends? Exactly, exactly. Uh, one last question for you. Let's just say they do not go uh, down the road of getting rid of the filibuster, okay? They were able to get this 1.9 trillion on, on 50 votes, votes through reconciliation. Reconciliation is used by everybody. I mean, Bush did it with his tax cuts. It, it, it happens. Uh, Trump did it with his. There's there are limitations on how many times they can use it, right? How do the hell does that work? I can never understand it. You can basically get one reconciliation attempt per year. The reason they can do two this year is the first one was actually a carryover from last year when it wasn't used. Um, Republicans did the same thing. They did two reconciliation bills in 2017, the tax cuts and ACA repeal, because the first one was a carryover from 2016. So they will get a second bite at the apple this fall, and then you go back to one per year. Oh, okay, so it's worked basically worked on from whenever the last one was used, or is, is it fiscal year? Yeah, it, well, it, it's ba- yeah, we're still in. We were still technically in the, the 2017 fiscal year. Got it. And then writing the next year's budget for 2018, you can use the reconciliation bill right away. Mm, okay. Well, this is they always make it so easy to understand, and I appreciate it. That's why we have you here to explain all this to us. Brian Riedel, he's the uh, uh, from the Manhattan Institute, senior fellow there, and always uh, always great to explain all this stuff and keep us somewhat sane. Thanks, Brian. Thanks so much, Stu. All right, back in a second. Mentioned this a couple of minutes ago, but we do have the uh, Joe Biden senility now t-shirts there you go available now you can get it in a mug form as well i mean who wouldn't want <laughs> people are gonna love you for this i can get it at studosmerch.com as well of course as the andrew cuomo is awful and chris cuomo is worse ma- mugs and don't forget while you still have to wear them hopefully not for that much longer andrew cuomo is awful chris cuomo is worse masks they're all available at studosmerch.com Today is a freaking day, man, in the Cuomo saga, because this is one year, one year today since the just ghoulish March 25th uh, order where he imported and guaranteed the import of people who had COVID-19 into nursing homes, as well as people who uh, they, w- they would not allow testing of many people who were brought into nursing homes. Obviously, this led to uh, God only knows how many deaths. Uh, and we know uh, that it was thousands and thousands and thousands that they did not tell us about. Finally, there may be some repercussions for that for for him and his uh, his his family. Um, Janice Dean has a great op-ed I want you to check out. Families deserve justice one year after Cuomo's deadly nursing home order. Uh, make sure you go check that out today. Is in the New York Post. Also, the Washington Post and the New York Times both had pieces today about Andrew Cuomo and what he did uh, as the coronavirus scandal was was brewing. Now, I kind of have a, a well-circulated uh, thread of the actions taken uh, by Andrew Cuomo in March in particular, showing that it wasn't this wasn't something he screwed up later on. This wasn't this is what he was terrible in March. And everyone remembers these press conferences as if they were soothing. One of the reasons they were soothing is he was telling you to keep going out, hanging out on the subways and don't panic over it. It's basically just the flu anyway. No big deal. Keep doing what you're doing. 
That's why it felt soothing. He was telling you everything was going to be okay and there was going to be no repercussions from this. Well, obviously that blew up in his face and people know about that. What's interesting now is the first time this has come to light is that Chris Cuomo and other family members and close allies and associates of Andrew Cuomo were given priority on getting tests when no one else could get them. Remember, one of the biggest the biggest failure of the entire scandal outside of Andrew Cuomo. Um, and this is we're talking about the entire coronavirus meltdown from beginning to end was we didn't have tests when we needed them. If we would have had tests earlier on, we could have told we would have been able to tell this thing was blowing up in a place like New York City. And we maybe could have missed some of the the terrible outcomes there. Well, with only a few tests available to people in New York, people as the media will tell you, this has hit uh, poorer uh, uh, places and, and communities harder. It's hit minority communities harder. Those people could not get access to any of these tests at this time. And Andrew Cuomo had people who, delivering, not only just delivering to Chris Cuomo tests when he needed it, when he got COVID, they, they delivered tests to him, took the tests on premises at his house in the Hamptons and then used state police to transport the tests so he could get the results as quickly as possible. You want to talk about corruption. I, I feel like every time I talk about Andrew Cuomo, I'm five miles down a road further than I thought it would be before. Now, of course, it's natural to try to use your connections to try to get tests in the middle of a pandemic. You think you might be dying. Of course, you're going to do everything you can. The, the, the issue here is, of course, as a governor of a state, you can't give in to that. There are laws against that. You can't use your influence as governor to, to hook your family up with stuff that other citizens who paid for and can't get. Because this is, this is all paid for by your tax dollars. And he's hooking his brother up, his stupid brother, doing shows in the basement, are getting tests when you're out there. You're a healthcare worker. You're doing everything you can to try to keep people alive. And stupid Chris Cuomo is in his Hamptons house getting tests and then getting the state police to run him around the state uh, so that they, they can get the results. I mean, and not, we should also mention... At this time, Chris Cuomo finds out he has COVID from getting hooked up from his governor. And what does he do? He gets he goes and gets treated by a, a lady who wants to give him spices and like bleach baths uh, to cure his COVID-19. And then he does a segment about how how irresponsible Donald Trump is for recommending hydroxychloroquine. I at CNN has released a statement. I don't know. Do we have the statement on this real quick? Here it is. We generally do not get involved in the medical decisions of our employees. However, it is not surprising that in the earliest days of a once in a century global pandemic, when Chris was showing symptoms and was concerned about possible spread, he turned to anyone he could for advice and assistance as any human being would. CNN with this Cuomo thing has been an absolute disgrace. They are not holding their own people accountable. They won't hold public fish officials accountable. An absolute journalistic disgrace. Everything they did in the Trump administration that pissed off conservatives is nothing compared to what they've done with Andrew Cuomo. An absolute disgrace. And they're favoring their own employees over the truth. Remember that and hold them accountable as well when you make your choices for the news. Back in a second. All right, I see you. Uh, you're one of the cool kids, aren't you? You're here on this part of the show. That means you're really one of the cool kids. Cool Kids Club. 
Make sure you click uh, like on this video and share as much as you can. Go to, uh, by the way, the uh, Instagram page and follow me there. The link in the bio has all the links to ever, everywhere you can uh, see the show. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Uh, you know, something quick. It's great. Whatever. I don't care what you write. Just please give me the five stars. I want the stars. Before we leave, guy in Fayetteville, Georgia, leaves his job. He's owed over $900 his last paycheck, having trouble getting it from his boss. Uh, one day he gets it in the driveway. It's all in pennies. And not just any pennies, but oil-covered pennies. It winds up filling up an entire wheelbarrow. By the way, the note on top said, F you. The employer says he paid him in U.S. currency. It should be fine. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs>